There is hope for your future. I can't imagine it without love. And it definitely had to be difficult to imagine love from where Jeremiah is sitting to get a better feel for where he's at when he's writing chapter 31, 30. Um, it's before and or after what the book of Lamentations will give you in a one single shot punch. You want to sit down and kind of feel the punch of the word of God. Take Lamentations, a little tiny book in the Old Testament in the middle of the prophets. Just take it in an afternoon, read it straight through. You'll be like, what is that about? And you'll like, remember that verse about how his mercy is new every morning? Like if you memorize that in grade school, like I, you'll, you'll remember that verse when you finally get to it in chapter three, and then you'll wonder why it went away so fast. And it's because the destruction of Jerusalem is what we would have to call godless if, if God had not been the one to do it. And the way he does it is by godless people. So what happens is when his people become so godless that he is no longer with them, but they still say they have his name, he erases that. And he does it by letting more honest godless people take over. <laughs> yeah, they don't pretend to be Christian. They just actually are evil. And then when that happens again, the church, the church, the Christians always repent. Again, in Jerusalem's time, there were very few who did. That's why they were finally destroyed. They'd had this happen like again and again, right? The Kings, the Chronicles, read it sometime again. It's just over and over again. They repent and then they, they forget. And they go on about their so-called merry way, but it's really their greedy, thieving, slanderous, self-hungry, you know, deceptive, rude, quarrelsome way. Until finally, they're so busy arguing with each other that they're surrounded by all of their enemies and they don't even know it. Some of them. And again, when the enemies of Jerusalem do destroy it, it's the kind of reading material that is not appropriate for Sunday school. It's just not. It's, it's gross. It's disgusting. War is not a cartoon. And the things that are done to women and children in war are the worst kinds of things the things that you wouldn't think good men would do. And there's stories about that too, why men at war become more evil, and you could probably trace that to our sinful condition if you wanted to. But the, here's the thing about Jeremiah's description of this utterly ruined city. I mean, it's over. This isn't, we have a chance. This is, it's done. And his description of this ruined city is, you have more hope than you can imagine. You have a better future than you can even see. That all that you have lost is only that which is vapor anyway. And that what God intends to build for you will far supersede what you thought you had or lost. And then, you know, 70 years later, when they're rebuilding the city with the emperor of the new empire, like a different empire, a whole different one takes over. And he says, rebuild my temple for God. He puts all the power of his majesty behind them. Well, they wept with tears and joy. And it was said among the nations, Jesus Christ, God, the Lord Yahweh has done great things for them because he had. Now then when Herod comes along and, and murders all these children, <laughs> 
near and in and around the kingdom of Judea, Jerusalem's territory, because he's king, but he's not a Jew, and he doesn't care, and he hears about the Messiah, and all he wants to do is kill him. Now, when that happens, Matthew, later, knowing who Jesus is, points to that same text we're going to look at here in a moment. And he pulls out the only bad news, really, in a big string of hope. And that bad news is, yeah, on the other side of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, if you didn't flee the city when it was obvious that you should, you might have lost some family members in the mix. But if you're outside and you're alive and you survive, then you know that those who are with Christ are with Christ, and that you are here today for the good of today. And those who saw that those days and heard him preaching this, they went to Babylon and they were blessed. They were blessed beyond imagination. They were blessed with generations and families that then didn't want to leave Babylon and come back to Jerusalem. It got so good. So the point again of this here is that Matthew sees that even in the murder of these 250 little saints, little babies brought to baptism and just taken home with their mothers, and somewhere around here, one and a half soldiers knock on the door, they rip them out of yards, and they murder them in cold blood. Matthew sees that, and he says, dry your tears. Don't weep. This is what you've been waiting for. This is the one. These little baby boys that are going to die, they're going to rise. Why? Because the little boy who Harry's looking for can't be killed for law. And it wasn't his time yet. He doesn't need to die at the hand of some puppet Idumean king. It's going to come from like Caesar when it happens, you know? And so again, the hope here in this text is what I want us to pull out today. And the overlap of history, if you've heard any of it, I don't think I didn't speak about America at all so far. I thought I spoke book about America a lot, <laughs> but I didn't, did I? You, know, you, have to, you have to put two and two together. You have to see with wisdom uh, that wickedness, darkness versus good and light, these are eternal principles. You don't have to name names to know what's going on. You just have to see. And the scriptures again pointing to Jesus is what takes we who are blind and opens our eyes. So if you want to find Jeremiah 30 and 31 in your pew Bible, that's great. If you want to find it in your personal Bible, that's great. We're largely going to use the text that's written um, in your bulletin as well. So that'll work for you this morning. Uh, I may go off that text into some other corners. I've been reading Jeremiah 30 and 31 daily uh, for... mm, long enough to have a good chunk of it memorized. Um, It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. Uh, The great problem today is I will want to say far too much. (laughs) As I've been in this so long, it's just my favorite way to imagine the future. Um, And that's where, before we get to the text, you know, it can't be imagined without love. If you're sitting there seeing Jerusalem destroyed and you're just a bunch of slaves going off to live in some sort of like a ghetto in some other city, the only way you can have hope is if you love each other. If you actually hate each other, there's going to be no hope. If you love each other with the love Christ has loved you with, that is knowing who you are, called out, set apart, more than conquerors, standing firm, built on a rock, right? all that stuff. When you love each other, now there's hope no matter what the darkness looks like. Huh? And so Jeremiah is sitting amongst the ruins, verse 10 of chapter 31. Hear the word of, I like to say Jesus, right? The Lord. 
the Lord Jesus. Hear the word of Jesus Christ, O nations, and declare it in the islands afar off and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him. Uh, first off, everyone's invited, right? The, the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't not for anyone. There's my double negative, right? Everybody is saved. The blood is shed for all. No one's turned away. Come ye who are weary. And then these islands, these nations far away, uh, imagine the worst type of barbarian. Imagine Genghis Khan and imagine some sort of seafaring Norse barbarian, right? And Isaiah, the pious, excuse me, Jeremiah, the pious Jew with his carefully put together clothing and his kept hair is shouting to them, hey, you come too. There's enough hope for everybody. What a beautiful thing. He who scattered Israel will gather the second half of the verse. When God strikes the shepherd, the sheep scatter. And that was done intentionally to the body of Jesus Christ at the height of time. So that now rather than scattering, he gathers. You see this then again in the story of going down to Egypt. They were scattered. They come back to the land. They are gathered. They're sent out to Babylon. They're scattered. They come back to the land. They're gathered, right? All of this is to show that we were sent out of Eden because of Adam's sin, away from paradise, scattered. And now Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen. Alleluia. We are gathered. So, one of the difficulties with imagining how Jeremiah 31 applies to us today and in the future is that it applies to us both today and in the future. It's like we talked about with Isaiah a couple of weeks ago. There's like this point at which we can't imagine how good it's going to be. And so instead, we just get the best picture of now we can get. Things like you never have any problems, right? <laughs> And yet we are going to here have problems until we are there when Christ returns. But these same pictures, they don't talk about only the future. They don't talk about it as if it's not here. They talk about you not having any problems as if it's true right now. And in Jesus, it is. Nothing that appears to be wrong will not be resolved by him at judgment day. Nothing. And if I say judgment day is good enough, that shouldn't be like, like vindication. That should be, again, hope. Judgment day is better than just good enough. Judgment day is the outpouring of blessing upon blessing to our sight, which we have now been given to believe and to believe that the believing is stronger. It is stronger. He is gathering us now. That's the word for church. The church is to gather. Keeping as a shepherd does his flock, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and we his sheep. See the church language right there at the start. So this text is about the church. It's about us as a congregation. It's about all believers in Christ throughout history. And it's about, again, the final day. All in a moment. All in a moment, which is right now. Verse 11. For Jesus Christ has redeemed Jacob, right? Purchased Jacob. And notice the use of the name Jacob instead of Israel. It, it isn't always the bad name for Israel, but it, it often is, right? Jacob is how he's born. It means heel grabber. Israel is his new name that God gives him. It means God fights with and for you. 
And now the heel grabber again is redeemed, ransomed from the hand of one stronger than he. How often do you feel you're in the hand of one stronger than you? Happens to me more than once a week, personally. A lot of times it's I'm giving credit to like a story from a news site that's just louder than it should be in my heart, probably. But nonetheless, I feel that I am in the hand of one too strong for me because of this, that, or the other thing. Um, Sometimes, God bless my children, it's my children, they're so good. And by that I mean they're very clever. And they can say something in a moment and I feel I am outwitted. And in my own psychology, personally, that, that makes me feel pretty weak. I'm like, oh no, how do I, how do I deal with this now? I don't want to fight my child, but they're too strong for me. Right. Have you been there? I'm sure you have, right? You are ransomed from this. You're bought back from this. And you can apply this again to your family, your neighborhood, your city, your congregation. There is nowhere that God is not going to pour out his buying of you into you on. All that you own is his. Therefore, they shall come and sing. Look, we're here doing it right now. What happened this morning? You got up, you braved the ice storm, not quite a storm, braved the ice. And here you are to sing in the height of Zion and stream to the goodness of Jesus Christ. This isn't only just the future, it's today. And that's why if you can't understand that paradise isn't about lions and lambs, It's about full love. Then you won't have a real hope for it. You'll be like the kid in grade school who's like, I don't understand paradise. It scares me. You're right. Because you're trying to imagine some sort of like alien factory where you get to have fun, right? As opposed to the place where finally you get out of the way and see everybody else for the good creation of God that they are. And they'll actually be that at all times. That's the thing to look forward to, I think. Whether or not I get to have my own pet lion, and I do hope to, uh, well, or tiger or something, right? Whatever he gets. But right now, it's already here, this love. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause this here. Keep your finger in your text and find your way, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Overused text that probably now is underused because it got overused. And so let's bring it back a little bit here. I don't think I'll even need to preach a word on what this says. I'm just going to read from chapter 13, 1 and following. It says this, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could not, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 
But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back to Jeremiah then, streaming to the goodness of the Lord in verse 12. Right? Streaming to the goodness of Jesus means streaming to the understanding that love does conquer all. And yeah, John Lennon messed with it, took it, made it mean different things, did evil with it. But the words are still true. Love does conquer all. And that is what we're here because of, not to do, but done. It is finished on the cross. Love has conquered all. And we get to be the people who walk around believing that. So that whatever hate we see, however vile it gets, we can still know love has already conquered all. And now that same God, the Holy Spirit, is alive inside of you to be more than a conqueror of all. Not by lifting your hand with a sword, but by raising your hands in prayer and learning to guide the tongue with wisdom for the sake, again, of, of hope. Streaming to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and new wine and oil, the young of the flock and the herd, and their souls shall be a well-watered garden. They shall sorrow no more at all. The fullness of this paradisical idea, but don't miss that wheat and wine are on the table right there. And so there's a fulfillment again today, no matter what you say, that we are the young and the old of the flock. And although we still will sorrow in this veil of tears, I promise you, your sorrow is nothing like the sorrow of those who don't know God. Their darkness knows no light. It talks of this future again, but we may have it in our hearts now. Verse 13, then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. And you maybe have heard the story about the proverb, this too shall pass. I believe it was the king of Siam asked all his wise men, uh, what's the wisest thing I can say so I never have to think? I just get, no matter what they say, you know, Bob from Ambrosia comes and he says, I think penguins are blah, blah, blah. And I can go something, right? What is it? And they said, this too shall pass. And you try it. It's pretty good. It works in, in most occasions. You can just avoid the conversation if you want to. Um, but again, the sorrow, sorrow is a nice place to apply that proverbial bit of insight to the world. That everything comes in seasons, and so when Jerusalem is torn down, this too shall pass. 
when today, just today is too much, this too shall pass. In that then we have something more than just, well, it'll get over. We have the promise there's hope for our future. Better is coming. Jesus doesn't prune without planning more growth. That's the only way he ever does it. Every single wound is cauterizing some poison that was there before. That's always how he does it. The only issue is we have trouble seeing it that way. These words are here to remind us of that. Verse 14, I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says Jesus. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to leave church every week and not want anything else ever? I mean, wouldn't that be nice? That's the promise. That's the promise. And the promise is so sure that you may know it's coming. And it's going to keep coming until it is fulfilled. And you might ask, well, how full is my cup? 50%, 75%, it doesn't matter. Maybe one day you feel nothing but promises. And the next day you feel nothing but sorrow. This too shall pass. The promises are true. And there will be a day when the promises will be so true for all of us at the exact same moment that we're going to feel it, seal it, and just be it because he'll be in the sky coming down on his horse. We'll be caught up with him. New bodies. No reason to wait until then to live like that is what is coming. That's the wisdom. Thus says Jesus, verse 15, you have that one verse, Matthew quotes, a voice heard in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Again, you know, he is referring to the actual carnage of a city of hundreds of thousands of people brutally murdered, every single person, nobody left alive. And those who came out from the city before the destruction, according to Jeremiah's preaching, said, go to Babylon first, right? They came out, they are the ones now weeping over all the dead, over all the dead and refusing to be comforted. I mean, how, how would it be? Did you hear, I mean, the news, the news, the news. A church in Nigeria, Christians, 150 people, Christmas, slaughtered, slaughtered. All of them. It's a wicked world. They're saints. They're rejoicing in heaven. However it went, they know Jesus better than we do now. But we shouldn't be ignorant of the designs of the wicked one. And again, to recognize that even when the children are slaughtered, we know better. We know more. Romans 8, all that about being more than conquerors, we are like sheep given to slaughter. It's right there as well. You're going to die. And Jesus might take you before you want to go. He might take you after you want to go. I've wanted to do a few of those. Let me tell you, 10 years later, why won't he kill me? <laughs> well, stop taking all the extra stuff, you know. But the fact is, he's going to take you when he feels like taking you. That's just dad. So trust that. And then walk with your head held high. I, I want to bring it to a close a little early because of the reading from Matthew, but I want to tell you another story. Ah. Stonewall Jackson, Civil War. I know we're not supposed to believe in the Civil War in 10 years from now or something like that, but, but Stonewall Jackson, whatever else you learn about the Civil War, this guy was a Christian. 
And the reason they called him Stonewall is because he'd be on his horse, like on the line with the troops while they're shooting, you know, point and click, shoot back and forth warfare. It's a little bit of a different thing at the time. Cannons and things like that. And he would sit there and his troops would see him and he stuff would fly past his head. He'd just be like, he'd just stand and And, you know, it became well known. It wasn't like they waited a long time to ask, but it was just well known. Uh, he was a Christian. And he was like, well, when God's going to kill me, God's going to kill me. I'm not going to hide from a bullet. Stonewall Jackson, he inspired his troops like few others, and one might argue it was his death that turned the war shot in the fog by his own troops. Or should we say God took him? Yeah. Thus says the Lord, verse 14, excuse me, verse 16, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says Jesus, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. Stonewall died, yet he lived or according to his testimony, his confession, I don't know. I can only read what I read and say what's written. But he's just like you. And we are just like each other. We are all in Christ fighting this same battle week in and week out to hold on to our hope and thereby to hold on to our love in a world that, if we're going to be honest, doesn't look like it has a very hopeful future. There's another statistic. Americans aren't saving money right now. Everybody's spending money. I think you know why. We're not sure what it's going to be worth in the future. But the point is, that's not hope. That's not hope. And the point of this sermon is that Jesus is hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please rise for prayer.